You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And often on Real Men Feel, I talk about encouraging men to own their emotions, to give themselves permission to feel their emotions. And, you know, that lets you feel more in charge of your life, of your day, of your joys. And it's, it's freeing and liberating. And we are entitled to feel our emotions. We're emotional beings, regardless of what you've been taught, whether you think being a man means you're allowed to have one emotion or two, or there's some that's off limits, or if you feel this way, that made you a woman. Um, that is all nonsense. And every now and then, I, uh, I meet, meet guys that, that tell me how, how brave and courageous I am. And sometimes it takes me a while to realize that, oh, yeah, this, this does require some confidence. And when I wasn't confident, it's because I wasn't allowing myself to feel. I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't, ex- I wasn't willing to express who I really was. So that, that showed up as uh, kind of damaging my psyche and stuff. But um, I recently get, met a man, uh, thanks to a, a group on Facebook, and his whole game is confidence. And the more we talked, we realized how much we had in common and so many of our, our shared belief systems and, and what we talked about. So since a big part of feeling is feeling confident and really such a big part of being a man requires confidence, that's why our guest is here today to talk self-confidence and with a twist because he uh, focuses on harnessing your spirituality to master that inner game so that you can take the field. And what man doesn't like a good sports uh, metaphor? So uh, please welcome to the show, coach, educator, and podcaster, Dennis Sumlin. Hey, welcome. Thank you. I'm saying welcome like it's my show. Glad to be here. (laughs) What's going on? Welcome to your presence, Dennis. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to unwrap this present. You know, this cool present. Cool, cool. You know, so I always like to start with the basics. Um, So what what, what is being confident? How How does, what is confidence? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it's a, a popular question, too, when you say confidence. Well, the way I see it, um, the way that it turns out, it, it seems to be three kinds of confidence. Uh, and one is maybe not exactly B confidence, but we put it in the confidence category anyway, just for quick reference. So the three things are situational confidence. So, you know, you can have confidence in situations For example, you could be very confident in playing basketball. Speaking of sports metaphors, Mm -hmm. um, you could be confident in playing basketball, um, but you may not, you may have an overall low self-confidence, but you can be confident in that one activity. So it is situational confidence. Um, And then there's the self-esteem, how you feel about yourself. You know, the word esteem, Mm -hmm. do you like yourself? 
you know, do, you know, all that. So that's kind of a form of confidence, how you feel emotionally about yourself. Um, and then there's, of course, the core confidence, which is what my business is named, core confidence. And that's when you believe in yourself as a person, as a human being, mm. you know, as a life form. So you believe in yourself as an intrinsic person. So, so for example, um, let's say that you can't play basketball. If you were core confident, you would believe in your ability to be able to learn it. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? So you, can, you may not have situational confidence in basketball, but because you would have core confidence, you believe in yourself as a person, your abilities and your talents. So you know that if you put your mind to it, you can learn it. So cool. it's, it's more of a, you know, not taking a defeatist attitude, more taking a success attitude as far as yourself. Right. So if your core confidence is high, there's no individual situation that can tear that down. Uh, no, no, because even if you don't know something and you want to know it, you believe in your capability to learn. Hmm. Cool. And, and this may seem like a silly question, but I like to ask silly questions because it kind of makes me look and what, what are my assumptions on this? But how do I know if I'm confident or not? Well, let's see. There's a couple of signs. I mean, there's signs all over the place. Hmm. Uh, but there's a couple of signs, a couple of things that come to mind right now. Let's say that you may not take criticism very well. If someone gave you a criticism or something like that, it may make you a little bit depressed or upset. You get upset easy over criticism. Okay. Another sign would be you don't take compliments very well. If someone compliments you, you're questioning, well, why, why would you say that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, things like that. Um, if you have a lot of bouts with anxiety, um, if you have a lot of negative talk uh, that you dwell on. Um, so there's several signs that you may be having a low bout of confidence or lack of self-esteem, something like that. Cool. And are, let's see, are some, peach, are some people really naturally confident or is it something that everybody has to, to work on? Well, I, I think like this. I think that we as individuals have a set of qualities, potential personality qualities and, and talents. Like I said earlier, I think that, you know, we, we were born in, a, in an Ikea box where we have certain <laughs> individual traits. Yeah. So I, I do believe that it could be possible that somebody would be born with a default sense of core confidence where somebody else may have to work more at it. But I believe that we all could achieve core confidence. It may take, you know, uh, some people more work than others, just like some people are taller than others. Mm. Cool. And is confidence is is the level of confidence that you display here and today is this something you've always had or does it did it take some sort of effort and practice for you well actually it's a combination of the two so it took it's both it took both effort and trial and it was also situational confidence so so for example i am one of those people because they, they say that 75% of people have a fear of public speaking and mm -hmm. so forth and being on stage. Um, I happen not to be one of those people. Mm -hmm. uh, so because I like speaking and I like performing, that's part of my background. Yeah. I've always taken to the art of performing. So I ended up with situational confidence. So when I had a low self-esteem, I felt like crap. I felt like less than a man. I didn't know whether I was masculine enough. I still had no problem getting on stage. Hmm. So I had situational confidence, but, at, at, but I didn't have core confidence. The core confidence is what's got me on this podcast now, because this is a video podcast and there were times I didn't want to be on video because I lacked 
belief in myself and my appearance and all this other stuff that I had insecurities of. So while I had situational confidence in the art that I loved, the lack of core confidence was actually stopping me from proceeding in that career. So the fact that I'm even sitting here today on camera with you on a podcast for an hour um, comes from the core confidence. Cool, cool. And let's let's get out of the way. Uh, you know, most of our listeners are listening to the audio traditional podcast, but the show is also on YouTube. We do record video, so you could see this on Facebook or wherever else. And listening to Dennis sounds like a, a great confident man. You might not know what what the heck is he talking about 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 uh, any sort of a fear of being seen or or being on video. But but Dennis is blind, and you know uh, if you if you saw his face, if you you would you would probably realize that. Um, and what, what I really like about you, why I wanted to have you on the show was I didn't know that. And I, and it just, it doesn't, it, huh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not how you lead yourself. It's not how you present yourself. It, it's not, well, it, it's not this kind of uh, backward compliment of, well, he's pretty confident for a blind guy or, you know, he's a pretty good speaker <laughs> for a blind guy, you know, it, you know, pretty fly for a white guy. So, but I did, and I don't know if you can even answer this. If, if you've been blind all your life, like, do, do you know if, if that had an impact on your confidence? Well, that's a great question. And um, well, it's a two part answer. One, I was not blind my whole life. I actually had sight. Um, I was born visually impaired, so, mm -hmm. but I had sight, um, so I was effectively sighted for all most intents and purposes until I was 11. So I do know what it's like to see and so forth. Um, but as far as my blindness affecting my confidence, now the blindness itself did not affect my confidence because I grew up in an atmosphere where blindness was seen as normal. Mm. Um, blindness was very normalized where I come from. Um, and when I went blind, I got services right away. I stayed in public school. Uh, blindness was very normalized in my childhood for me, mm. at least for, for the most part. So it wasn't blindness that I stumbled over. It was more um, when I got further out into the world, it was the perception of blindness and how people saw blindness and disabilities at large. Because uh. I didn't know that. When I first went blind, I didn't know it was uncool to be blind. I had no idea. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea how people saw disabilities when I was first starting to be independent. It, it took me by surprise, and it did. It did took a sucker punch at my confidence because it's something I did not understand, and yeah. it's something I had to really adapt to and try to understand. That that that's I'm trying to get my brain around that because yeah it's not and it is again it helps people realize their own assumptions and what we what we project onto people that yeah blindness wasn't the issue it's it's how it's how everybody treated that yeah absolutely I mean of course if you if you're sighted and you go blind there's going to be adjustments you're going to have to make of course there's going to be that I had to make adjustments I had to learn to read again with Braille I had to learn to travel again you know so of course there's going to be adaptations that has to be taught. Um, but that didn't bother me because, again, where I come from, blindness was kind of at least semi-normalized. Hmm. But um, the larger world, the larger society doesn't see blindness or disabilities that way. No matter how independent you are, there's still a perception about that. And that's a very overwhelming perception. And it did take a toll on my sense of confidence, my sense of self-perception, um, because the society was challenging my own perception of myself. Mm. Um, and it's quite overwhelming because, you know, when you're disabled and you're a man, then your masculinity sometimes gets questioned and, you know, so we can go on and on for hours about that. Yeah. So I had to, you know, 
they would back to the core confidence, I had to figure out a way of building that core confidence to withstand the stigmas and social pressures and things that come along uh, with that. And, and since you touched on masculinity there, um, was, was it ever outright said that, oh, you can't be masculine, you can't be a man, or is that just something you kind of like felt somehow hinted at? Uh, both. Wow. Actually, I've actually had people say to me that they saw me less than a man because I was blind. I've actually mm -hmm. had people say that. Um, there's other people who will, based on the tone that they take with you, you can tell that they don't see you as an equal adult. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the dating scene, you know, um, it doesn't even matter what preference you have. The dating scene, you'll see that people aren't always, you know, uh, ready or able or understand the whole blind thing. So, um, you know, so it's, it's said in direct ways and it's said in indirect ways. And that was another clash because I never felt anything other than a man. I've, you know, when I was younger, I never, you know, before I got out into the world and more independent, I never thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if I'm masculine enough. Hmm, I wonder if I'm a man. Um, well, of course, I wasn't a man at that time. I was a kid, but I never thought about it until my own perception clashed with society. Hmm. hmm, well, I can't be a man because I'm blind. I'm less capable, supposedly. Right. I can't be a man because I'm not, I'm a little too sensitive about things, you know, the whole sensitive thing. Um, I can't be a man because, you know, you name the trait. Uh, so, you know, these are the kinds of things, you know, that I had to figure out how to navigate. Right. And, and again, I want to get clear, uh, I've talked to you know, hundreds of men that have navigated these issues. And so it, it but it, it, it's, again, it's neat that you, you had, uh, you had something else that people could kind of point to or use as an excuse to, to kind of, kind of push you back in a way. But so how, how did you get over society's perception of you? How, how did you strengthen your core confidence again? Well, it was a long process. You mm -hmm. know, it, didn't, it definitely wasn't overnight. Um, it took a lot of years. Um, it was a lot of years of not understanding what was going on. And then a lot of years of trying to figure out what, I, what am I going to do about it? Because, you know, I said, well, I want to belong. I want to I be liked. I want to be considered one of the boys, you know, because, you know, when you're young, you want to fit in, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be fake. I had a very, 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 very hard time with being fake. It just, being fake is not something that's in my nature. I had a very hard time with lying and being fake and something I'm not and doing dumb things I'm not into just to be liked by the boys. I just, ah, God, and anytime I tried to do it, it was just like a, I felt like a violation of my soul when I did it. Um, so it took a lot of that kind of bouncing around that scenario. Um, it took a lot of soul searching. It took a lot of uh, evaluating, you know, just my purpose in the world. It just, just took a lot of, a lot, a lot of years of searching. Mm. And so then I got on this whole self-development kick. You know, I started to really get into psychology, what made people tick, human behavior, um, human sexuality, you know, uh, just how people operated and what made people people, you know, from their soul, their mind. You know, I started to get into all of that stuff. And that, you know, set me on years of spiritual and intellectual exploration. Cool. So I went, were, you, were you raised with any sort of uh, religion or spirituality or was this all discovered as an adult? Well, actually I was raised in a, well, I was, I was raised a, a Christian, um, but I 
the reason why I hesitated is because I was actually raised in a two religion household. My, my parents were Christian. I was adopted. Uh, we can get into that a little later, but yeah, the, my parents were uh, Christian, but um, I had an aunt in that adopted family. She was Jehovah witness. Um, my parents were Pentecostal. So I got to know, you know, different versions of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, but as I got, when I actually went to a Bible camp when I was a kid too. So I was like, uh, you know, I was drowning in Christianity and the Bible and all this stuff. So after I became a teenager, I started to have different thoughts about spirituality and creation and life. And I started to, again, turn towards different ways of looking at it. You know, th th that kind of collides with my beginning of exploration of self-development and stuff. So I started to look at different theories and understand different things. And I got into politics early. I started getting into politics when I was 11 years old. Mm. So a lot of these things combined to make me rethink all this stuff. And I went through a part where um, I was, wasn't part of anything. And then I actually became a Buddhist for a while. Mm. Um, I was a Buddhist for a number of years, actually. Um, and then I decided that I'm going to stay away from these kind of name brand organized religions with their rituals and things of that nature. Yeah. I'm just going to study spirituality, study, you know, um, the creator and different viewpoints about that. Um, make sure that I have a connection to the spirit and the creator and just move in more of a holistic direction. Cool. And does, does your seeking ever end or is there always more to learn? What, what is that experience like for you? Well, there's certainly always more to learn because the, the spiritual dimension is certainly not the same as, as here in the, in the earth dimension, but um, there's certainly a lot, there's always to learn, but I've definitely made it my business to cultivate um, my intuition and through spiritual practices, you know, meditation and other things we can talk about. Um, I've made sure that I've had a spiritual relationship. Um, so uh, I consider myself uh, spiritually connected and fortunate to be so. Cool. And, and I do want to get in, get into how spirituality plays part of your confidence. So let me try to dissect it first. And did, were, were, hmm, were you confident and then added spirituality and it got you more confident or, you know, was there a level of confidence with, without harnessing your full spiritual self? Well, here's something very interesting. And my friends have pointed this out to me. Um, they feel I have, I have other friends who are into holistic spirituality and so forth. And they, you know, they tell me what they get from me energetically wise. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems that people, and I see it myself that it's been explained to me that I've always had a kind of a core confidence Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that might be true since I was a kid. I've, I've always had a kind of a core confidence, but I think what's happened in, in, with my sense of core confidence clashing with society stigmas as, we, as we've spoken about, I neglected my own self and got sidetracked with all the society messages that I was being fed. Instead of listening to myself saying, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with being blind, I listened to other people saying blindness is lesser mm. and ignored my own sensibilities um, instead of going with, well, I feel just as man or masculine as any other dude that I see. Instead of listening to my own intrinsic instincts, I got sidetracked with, in order to be a man, you have to be tall and muscular and kind of a gangsterish and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I got sidetracked with the archetype instead of listening to my own intrinsic uh, voices. 
And so what spirituality did along with the study of self-confidence and all these other psychology things, what all those things did is bring me back to myself, mm. bring me back to what's intrinsically going on for me. What's what my intrinsic truth is as an individual. It got me to uh, start to ignore and question the the social constructs and the, and the stigmas that are placed on all of us. It got me to question all those things and get back to a sense of uh, self and centeredness. Right. So, so seeing who you really are, feeling again who you really are, because you did have it. Absolutely. There, yeah. there was something there. I think we all have it. I think yeah. we all have a sense of who we are. Um, and I think a lot of things in life take us away from the sense of who we are into distractions and scars and so forth, yeah. um, some worse than others. And I think it would be great if we can work towards getting back to uh, a genuine version of ourselves. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, what I was trying to get to with one of my questions earlier of, of you know, are we, in my perception, it's, you know, as children, as babies, as infants, we come in with all this light, all this energy, all this joy, and it, it, it comes off as this beaming confidence that, you know, everybody wants to see the, the new child in the family and things like that. And then through society's labelings, our own experiences, whatever, it starts to get like chipped away, worn away. We, we, we get dulled somehow. Yeah. And, and we can either buy into the dullness and think, oh, that's who I am now. Or we can find a new way to kind of break through that and, and to, to use your language, rejuvenate some of our core confidence. But, you know, it's let that, that soul, let that intuition, let that light inside of us, let that, that source energy that fuels us let that be authentically um, spread and shown and seen again. Yeah, and, and see, that was the clash because when I was a kid, like we spoke about at the top of the show, it's not that I was confident in my speaking ability or performing ability, it's just that I loved it so much. Right. And so me loving it so much, um, you know, I, be, I, I gained situational confidence, but the lack of core confidence or the ignoring of my intrinsic confidence uh, slowed me down. Me listening to society's stigmas and stereotypes and self-doubts and all these other things that crop up due to scars in life, um, listening to that slowed my career. Right. You know, this is not to be, you know, not to not do a sob story, but I probably could have been further sooner if I had just been able to um, override some of those programs earlier. Yeah, but you also could have been worse longer. You know, it's like, yeah, so I never, it's not, you know, we can only kind of be aware once we're aware. And then it's, and, and you talk about this too, that it, choice, you have to make the choice to want to feel better, to want to, to improve Absolutely. how you feel and act. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, how you feel it is a choice. Now, there are things in life you can't control that would be perceived as sad, um, but it's up to you what to do when you're in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and even if you are sad about something, because we all should feel our feelings, we shouldn't deny or suppress them um, because feelings are part of our makeup here on the planet. Right. Um, so, but you can decide what you do with that sadness. You can decide how long you stay in that sadness or how long that sadness keeps you stationary. Yeah, and I, I find, and I tell people this all the time, when, when there's some emotion that for whatever reason we don't want to feel, the, the resistance to that makes us feel worse. Absolutely. And, and I was, when I'm willing to, if it's sadness that's showing up for me, if I'm willing to feel it, on the other side of that emotion is always relief. 
yet yet if I think I'm not allowed to feel sad and I deny it and I cover it up, it's just going to show up in in more destructive ways at some point. Yeah, and that that's that's what goes on, you know, as you know, with 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 uh, us men sometimes. You know, we're only supposed to feel a certain list of emotions. We can only feel anger or horniness <laughs> or you know competitiveness, things like that. Um, but you know, affectionate, you know, you know um, loving, you know, we can't even feel a certain level of happiness. We have to keep our happiness in check depending on how it's expressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can get away from all that, you know, and just express ourselves um, and bottling up those sad emotions and the dep- and it turns into depression, yeah. turns into addictions and turns into all kinds of ugly things. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, a, a cliche is misery loves company and kind of every emotion loves company. It, it, it's energy. It, it's a, it's having that, having a upset feeling that you just carry without feeling it is, is like a virus. And the, you know, you'll attract people to kind of commiserate over, Oh, that, that does stink. Oh, that person, oh, it is their fault. And it can kind of build, but. Yeah. And also, you know what it is also when you, when you start suppressing or, or feeling bad for feeling bad, then that's a double bad. Then that's a double bad. It's like, okay, I'm sad or depressed about something, but now I'm upset that I'm upset. Or now that I'm feeling guilty that I'm upset or I'm a man, I'm supposed to be stronger. So now you have a double bad. It just adds to your burden. Yep. 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 Yeah. You're, you're feeling bad and then you're feeling worse because you're judging that you're yeah. feeling bad. And I'm it's- judging that I'm feeling bad, that I'm putting my own feelings in this, these frameworks and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so how, how does someone grapple with just this idea? If this is new to some, like, you know, how do, how do I take ownership of my feelings and, and how do I recognize I have choice if I don't think that I do? That's a great question. Um, well, you first have to be able to suspend the things that you think, mm. because if you think you don't have choice, then that's going to control how you navigate the world. So you have to suspend the things that you may have previously thought about the nature of choice and the nature of feelings, like suspend the idea that someone can make you feel something mm. or that you don't have a choice. There's always choices. You may not like the consequences for those choices, but there's always choices. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it can be easier. It, it can be easier to, to give up the idea of choice. Like, no, I, I'm stuck in this job or I'm stuck in this relationship. And just, no, it just means the choice, doing something is hard, yes, <laughs> but, but you do have the choice. You have the choice. Yeah. And if you want to make the choice, if you're committed enough to that choice, you will do the, the, the recommended or instinctual preparations for it. Mm. Um, so you can make that choice. Um, but you, you always are in, you know, sometimes I say this, I always have the last say, you know, and when I say that, sometimes people think I sound arrogant. You know, what do you mean you always have the last say? Who do you think you are? You know, people always take things the wrong way, (laughs) but, but we all have the final say. Mm. We can't control everything in the world that's outside of us. Definitely not. But we all have the final say about how we navigate that. Good or bad. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you, we, we, yeah, you do have the final say for you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. At like, all times. Yeah. Cool. There's never a moment you don't have the final say over you. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and it, and again, it's it's not a competition. It's not an authoritarian thing. It's just no. I I own me. Yes, I'm responsible right. for me. Yeah. And I would say, you know, just you know, just to get back to the question, I, I, I back to your question about how do you even go through this process of taking ownership. 
Well, first, in order to take ownership of something, you have to know what it is. Mm. So I always recommend, like, if you're starting this idea of building your core confidence and taking ownership for yourself, um, you have to first be able to, I, to clearly identify how you feel, mm. how you feel and why, and why are you feeling that way? I'm feeling angry right now about this situation. Okay, well, what about this situation makes me angry? And then when you get deeper and see that, then you can decide, well, is these elements worth getting angry about? Yes or no. And if they are, how could I handle this in a constructive way? Right. Yeah. So there's, by taking responsibility and ownership, it, you're claiming, again, you're claiming responsibility. And it's not so that you can just sit there and blame yourself. It's so that you can make a new choice. It's so that you can dissect and learn and do something new. Absolutely. Beautiful. It starts, that's why you, when you opened up with the um, master your inner game and take the field, mm -hmm. that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Because the things that you do on the outside, you know, is, is reflecting what's really going on on the inside. So when you master that inner game, you're taking the field, you know, with more of a self-ownership, more of a humble core confidence. Cool. And, and is that a big part of it? Is that, does healthy confidence require some humility? I think so. I, I think that, you know, certainly we have different personality types. Some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. So you may, someone may uh, wear their confidence more on their sleeve than others just as a natural condition because we have different personalities. But I think that true confidence is understanding that we're all teachers and students, mm. you know, because confidence, core confidence is believing in yourself, but also believing in other people as well and staying within that framework just like you have talents other people have talents too just mm. like you have something to offer other people have something to offer too it, yeah, it's I, never that you're above anybody yeah, so I, I, like think, that. I, I, I like that i like you know i'm confident and i'm confident in you that's right yeah i get it cool and and then a way to allow for growth and to the ability to suspend what you think i'm confident and i could be wrong <laughs> oh yeah, but that's being open-minded because like I said, it's a teacher-student thing. You're always learning. You never stop learning and growing. So no matter how core confident you are, there's always room to grow, you know? And being open to that, being open to being the teacher and the student, being open to learning from all of your experiences and, and, and other people uh, is, is the key to continued growth and core confidence. Mm, beautiful. One of the keys. <laughs> And is this kind of, is this um, your public speaking and, and what you go and share and teach? Is it, is it always around confidence or is it other subtopics as well? Well, um, well, two things. I teach public speaking. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but as far as me speaking and the podcast that I host, yes, all that is around core confidence, um, how, to handle your, how to handle your inner feelings, anxiety, um, you know, self-doubt and so forth. You know, also talking about building healthy relationships, building a confident sexuality as a man, you know, all these things that circle around what I call authentic, healthy manhood. Cool. And I was, was going to ask, like, what are some of the impacts? What are the, some of the areas of life that are impacted by a man's confidence or lack thereof? And it sounds like, you, you know, relationships, uh, you know, career is, are there, is it limitless? Is it every aspect? I think it plays a role um, in every aspect. So I'll give you an example. So just in relationships, if you're not confident in who you are, if you're not confident in the kind of man you are, the kind of things you want in your life, 
Um, if you're just in a state where you want to be liked or you just want to have a partner, then you're liable to have lower standards than what you would prefer. You're mm -hmm. liable to maybe settle, maybe getting into a, an abusive relationship, depending on how much you, uh, your scarring is impacting your current reality. Um, and I think that if you feel more confident within yourself as a person, you'll understand that having healthy values and standards is fair for you and the people you're going to date. Mm. So I think that being confident has a lot to do with the kind of people you end up with. I think being confident even has a lot to do with sex and sexuality, even sexual performance. Mm -hmm. I think the confidence has to do um, also sometimes with your career. Although I have seen people detach their career from their sense of self-confidence. Actually, because this reminds me of someone I actually had on my podcast. Um, and we were talking about uh, something. He was talking about his relationship and how he had a low self-esteem because he was in a dysfunctional relationship and he allowed it for all these years because of his lack of self-confidence. And then we talked about his job and how excellent he was at his job. And I'm like, well, how come your job doesn't impact your sense of self-confidence? He says, because my job is, for me, I'm doing it as a machine. I don't think of it as part of me. So he detached his job performance away from his sense of self. Mm. So I've actually seen that happen with career, where you just kind of get up and you do the robotic thing because you know you got to earn money, or mm. you actually are doing something you like, which ends up to be situational confidence. But when you get off the job, you're back to your lack of self-confidence self. Confidence self. Mm. So I think confidence has an impact on all areas. So it's neat as the notion of the career. So something can become so automatic and I'm good at it, but I don't even recognize that I'm good at it. So I just treat it as this separate part. I yeah. can't, I, I can't, I'm not building off that situation. Absolutely. He mm -hmm. wasn't using, and he wasn't using his job performance as a measure of whatever he wants to measure of a measure of his manhood, of his self-confidence, whatever his measurement stick was, he wasn't including his career in that. Hmm. So is it, is, would, is it good advice to use uh, your situational confidence as, as a measuring stick, so to speak, to, to go into other areas, to prove to your things to yourself? I think so. I think that's part of evidence-based thinking. Hmm. I think that that's part of questioning our self-doubts. So I think that if, if you're someone that has a lot of negative thoughts and thinking, self-doubts, I'm not, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I can do that, you question that and test that by the evidence of your life. Mm. So you say, for example, when I was much younger, I used to think that I was unattractive, which is totally not true. <laughs> Those who are watching on video knows that's not true. Uh, so, um, but back when I was younger, I allowed stigmas about having, being, of having, being skinny, and of course, the way my eyes appear, I allowed people's stigmas around that to affect how I saw myself. Um, but I never thought I was ugly when I saw myself. Mm. Um, and I'm definitely not unattractive based on lots of histories that you can only get me to talk about when I'm drunk. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, question that. Oh, I'm ugly. Well, prove it. Where in my life have I seen the proof of me being ugly? Um, well, I have, um, I, you know, I'm not a good speaker. Well, where in my life has that been proven? So anything that you feel about yourself, especially if it's negative, yeah. see if it's actually true. Question yourself. Right. So okay. being able to so treat yourself like a, like a science project and, and sure. do a little witnessing and testing. Sure. That's a way to, to kind of stop your negative thinking. Kind of mm -hmm. like, well, why am I thinking this? It's not even true. This is silly. Yeah. It's cool. silly for me to think that I'm 
not good at, you know, fill in the blank. Look what I just did. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's always shown me that, that I've gotten through something that I've grown when, when I can, uh, you know, look back on something that I thought was this really negative, horrible thought of mine. And now it just makes me laugh. And it's just so silly. Yeah, it, it, it's silly. And it, it, it's good to engage your logical mind when you're trying to um, defeat negative pattern thinking. Mm. Cool. And we, we've both said the word authenticity a couple times. And I, I kind of like to get back to that. And because I think some, some, some guys almost get, can, can get triggered and defensive. And that, so, so for me, when I talk about being a, an authentic man, it doesn't mean you have to be like me. It means honestly being whoever you are, whatever your expression is. Is, is, is. Does that ring true for you? Or how would you talk about authenticity? Uh, you see, you know, that's, that, I'm glad that you brought that up because you made me, I didn't think about that interpretation that if you're saying to some other man to be an authentic man, they're assuming you mean you when you didn't say you. Yeah. But I, that's, that's them spontaneously creating an archetype. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I didn't, I actually didn't think about that because when I think about authenticity, I'm thinking about what you're thinking about being your, being your, your, your true best self, you know, being the authentic you that I have the same interpretation you do, but it's cool. interesting that it's, people have yeah. come up with a yeah. and that, that's why we get along. But I, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this show and I've attracted enough audience that, uh, the, the slings and arrows come out and I realize, ah, they know some people are somehow perceiving this as like, especially having a show called real men feel. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm the one real man. I'm encouraging men to feel, to but, feel real. But, yeah. But you know what that comes from? That comes from years and years of stigma of what a man's supposed to be. You know, right. you know where this comes from. You know, oh, we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah. All this stigma about a real man does this. Yeah. A real man can lift 200 pounds. A real man <laughs> is tall. A real man has a huge cockazoo. You know, <laughs> so anytime someone says a real man does, a lot of people's defenses go up. Yeah. Yeah, because at, at some point in all of our histories, we've heard the opposite, that we yeah. weren't. And like, oh, oh, here's a, it's almost the, the reverse of the positive measuring stick of situational confidence. We're kind of reminded of, oh, here's a place I didn't measure up. And now I, yeah, these, these terms bother me. Yeah, because we have that, we've been able, unfortunately, we've kind of absorbed as men, this kind of little internalized little inferiority thing, a oh, real man, I don't measure up. Or yeah. who are you to say what a real man is? Like we have our defenses up. Because as you said, many of us have gone through that judging and ranking especially as teenagers or young men yeah cool and what, what about when it comes to the notion of faking it till you make it is, is that is that an actual um tactic to gain confidence i think it is a tactic i think it can work with the right mind frame mm. you have to fake it without bitching about it <laughs> like because i did that when i was younger i would fake it I, I, when, when I was told fake it to make it, because I have a thing with honesty and genuineness, yeah. I hear the word fake. What do you mean fake it to make it? Why do I got to be fake? You know, I made it into a negative. Yeah. Fake it to make it. What? I'm not fake. If I'm not happy, I'm not going to pretend to be. Who are you? To, you know, yeah, I got yeah. all defensive and indignant. What are you talking about? So if you're going to get defensive about it and actually think it's fake, then yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. But fake it till you make it is meant to. Uh, relay the the actuality that if you go out there and you approach people with a good spirit 
and try to channel your best self, even if you don't exactly feel like it, eventually it's going to engage your best self. Right. It's, it's about energy. Yeah. It's yeah. about you summoning up the energy that you have within you to overcome the, 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 the negative energy at the surface. Yeah. And I, I, I get, I, I'm reminded of my own experiences as, as you said that. And yeah, I hated that term too. Like, wait, why am I faking it? This doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to be me and authentic. So yeah, it, it can, it can, you know, if you're, if you're not listening closely, you can kind of pr pretend you're hearing, wait, you just said to be authentic and then you said to fake it. But yeah. it's just, yeah, there's no good rhyme. There's no good little, uh, you know, daycare thing to throw out there of like, uh, channel your best self and then you'll make it. It just, you know. Exactly. And, and see, I think that's important what you say, your best self, mm. because you all, you know, we're, we're a whole people, as, we, as I've been, as we've been saying, you know, the whole time, we're whole people, holistic beings, all parts of our personality is part of us. And so being our best self means putting our best foot forward. So if I'm getting up with, am I having a particularly bad, I feel bad this morning. Um, don't feel like in a very good mood. That's not the person's fault down the street. So putting my best foot forward, putting my best self forward, even if I feel a little, you know, a little messed up, a little fucked up here, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make the best of my day. I'm going to be to my best to be kind to people as I want them to be for me. And the, the energy of that will follow, either through you doing it or through other people reflecting that energy back to you. Yeah. And, and one thing I always like to call out when everyone's talking about, you know, being your best self, putting your best step forward and everything, is that our best is going to fluctuate, right? Yeah. Our best depends on our sleep, our food, our energy, the weather, the people around, right? There's all these different circumstances that can add to what makes your best version of you in this very moment different from yesterday or next week or six years ago. And yeah. it's important to let that be okay. Like just to know if when, when we can honestly tell ourselves that I'm doing my best right now, that's the goal. But to compare that, but my best was a lot better last Tuesday. What's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, that well, yeah, but, yeah, and that circles around. I know there's a lot of stuff, you know, people are listening. It's stuff to, a lot of stuff to take in, but that goes back around to self-judgment. You know, um, judging ourselves for maybe mistakes, judging ourselves. Well, I didn't perform today the way I did yesterday, so I must be an idiot or I must not be, I must be whatever. I must be slacking, yeah. you know. Uh, Self-judgment, holding ourselves to our own standards is good. Self-judgment, where we are negatively convicting ourselves for faults and shortcomings are bad. Okay, great. That's a good differentiation. Cool. And, and are there other common habits you see people that they fall into that kind of lowers or, or, or injures their own sense of confidence? A lot of, it, a lot of that stuff is really when, when you stop listening to yourself and hand over your ears and your eyes to someone else. So that's when you compare yourself to other people. That can, that, that's a sign of low self-confidence. That can continue to damage your self-confidence if you compare yourself to other people. Oh, he has this. How come I don't have that? He's making this. How come I don't have that? Yeah. You know, when you stay in that um, kind of mode, that's also uh, pretty damaging. Again, I go back to when you can't take simple compliments, when you can't take constructive criticism, um, those kinds of things, you know, keep you in a state of low self-confidence. When you dwell on negative thoughts, you know, we all have thoughts. We all have negative thoughts. When you dwell on the negative thoughts, mire in them, 
Um, this is, sit in your anxiety about them. That fosters low self-esteem. Mm. Do, do you have any sort of basic tools you could share with people now to, to develop their own confidence? You know, what I, what I do, um, I mean, there's a whole uh, kit and caboodle tools of tools. Right. But one thing that came to my mind when you first asked me that question, I'm someone that um, I, have, I have anxiety. I go through my little anxiety bouts. You know, some, as people know, with anxiety, you know, you, 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 get, you have the little elevated response system. You start thinking all these thoughts. Many of them are negative or catastrophizing. And so what really helps me, one of the things that I'll suggest, among others, um, is doing some silent meditation. Mm. Um, and so every morning I have a morning routine, you know, and I find it very helpful to, one, um, have controlled chaos in my mind a point in my meditation where I let my mind run wild and go crazy with silly things and then I stop it and then I go into silent mode and allow my body and mind and soul to sit still and just quiet my mind and ever since I started doing that I feel more centered and the things that would normally rattle me rattle me a lot less mm. and so I'm able to be more confident in myself because I feel more centered mm. um, another one as far as tips um, as we spoke about earlier, when you start to have those circular negative thoughts, start questioning them. Smack them down. Answer them. You know? Um, yeah. Answer. If, if your mind is creating catastrophes, answer them. Well, what if this happens? Well, if this happens, then I would be able to do this, and that's it. You know? So not allowing those negative uh, things to run away with you. So right. answering and questioning your negative thoughts is also another way of building confidence. Cool. Um, another way is when you compare yourself to others, know that you're not seeing the whole picture. You're seeing snapshots of somebody else. So you're comparing your whole self to somebody's snapshot, even if that person's your friend. So yeah, just couple tools that can probably go on for hours. Cool. Cool. And all this talk of comparisons reminded me one of, of one of my favorite quotes, um, comparison is the thief of joy and that's for that's a from attributed to president teddy roosevelt which always surprises me um but i i, I love that line and it, it's really true i find that time and time again oh teddy roosevelt has some of the best quotes and he's my favorite president uh-huh uh-huh uh-oh uh-oh i heard uh-oh uh -oh. <laughs> it just reminded me i do have a presidential question here so uh we'll, we'll see if we get to it all right. But, um, you know, you also talked a lot about spirituality. So I wonder, are there common blocks or resistance you see uh, to men that you, you want to work with? You want to they you want to coach them and you realize, you know, is there something that's kind of uh, they're afraid of to deal with in terms of exploring their spirituality? Well, you know, when it comes to spirituality, I, I think that's a tricky one because I work with men who if we're working on some spiritual stuff, you know, I, I work with men who are more open to exploring um, their spirituality and, you know, because there are people who are very committed to their spiritual beliefs, whether they're Christian or uh, Muslim or what, what have you. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody is looking for someone to coach them in a Christian or a Jewish kind of context, then I, I wouldn't be the one. But if someone is looking to really... Uh, think of spirituality as not having a, a, a box of being able to think of spirituality as being holistic and moving past some stigmas that religion and society fosters. Mm -hmm. um, 
those are the kind of men I'm, I'd be able to work with because then we'd be able to release some blocks they may have around self-esteem, around purpose, around sexuality. Um, but you, of course, first have to be open to being able to move past some things you may have believed in the past. Right. And, and so let me dig deeper on that. Are, do you see enough closed men to, to be able to have any insight as to what is keeping them closed? Mind wise, what, what's keeping some, some people get open minded and they come and they seek you and there's rapport instantly. And I get that. But then those, those guys that just stay, stay miserable. Like what, what, what do you think it is? Um, well, there, well, well, there's a thing of comfort zone. Mm. Um, we, we, and I've, just, I've been thinking about comfort zones a lot lately. Um, you know, we, we love the devil that we know. You know, if something has gotten us by or we think it's gotten us by, um, we tend to want to stick to it. Um, and this goes beyond spirituality, of course. This goes with everything. Um, we, a lot of times we tend to stick to the things that we feel work. Right. Um, even if they're somewhat negative patterns. Like I remember when I was going through my frequent bouts of depression years ago, I would actually argue for my depression. Yeah. Um, I didn't want, I, I said, well, I'm, I'm comfortable with being depressed. I, it's, it's part of who I am. So I got comfortable with it. And yeah. so it, it's harder to get me out of it when I'm actually made friends with it. Right. <laughs> so, um, and I, I think that's what happens when people have a particular philosophy or they've lived through particular experiences that shape their viewpoint, they could be afraid to look at something new because they don't know where it's going to lead. Yeah. Or they could be afraid to question, let's say, their religion because they don't know if that's the right move. Is God going to punish me? So there's, there's always a comfort zone-based reason why people are closed off to it. Depends on the topic. With spirituality, yes, it's probably a stigma around leaving an organized religion. When it comes to other things that men are blocked on, it's manhood concerns, you know, purpose, you know, purpose concerns, you know, things like that. Yeah, cool. But and you can only be coached if you want to be coached. Oh, if, yeah, if yeah. You're stuck in a comfort zone and you don't want to move. A coach can't make you move. Right. Yeah, you can, you can nobody, not coach anybody, friends, family, you can only help people that want to be helped. Absolutely. Otherwise, you it's just, you're, yeah, you're that joining them. That goes back to and, choice. Yeah, that goes right. back to choice. And that goes back to you choosing your own everything. Yeah. If you want to be helped, you will be. Mm -hmm. And and I'm hearing in so much of that answer, it boils down to fear. And, you know, I just throw it like, yeah, every man is afraid at some point. You know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've gotten into really believing this, um, especially in a spiritual, energetic, so forth. There's only two things that everything breaks down to. It's love or fear. Mm -hmm. All the things that we do derive from that. Because it's not love or hate, because hate boils down to fear. Right. Yep. And an exercise I, when I first started, you know, when I realized after multiple failed suicide attempts that, all right, well, maybe I'll stick around. Maybe there's a point to, to this thing called Andy, and I'll, I'll try giving life for a, a, a better shot. And yeah, like how much of my, how many of my decisions were driven by fear? 
as opposed to love. So I really, which I might have got this from Oprah for good sakes. Um, but the notion of sit and this choice and does it, does it, does, am I attracted to this choice because of the attraction to it, because of the love, the joy that's there, or am I making a decision to avoid something I'm afraid of? Yeah, to avoid something you're afraid of, or are you making a decision because someone else thinks you should? Mm. That's a form of fear because sure. you're fearing their approval. Yep. Don't want to disappoint anyone else. Don't yeah. want to let anyone else down. Oh, oh. I've, I've fallen into those baskets, afraid to say no to somebody. Yeah. Um, I've fallen into those baskets yeah. where I'm, I, you know, I don't want to disappoint. I want to, you know, I want to be that person that's dependable. I, you know, I used to say yes too much and then feel bad if I couldn't fulfill it. It was a crazy cycle. Cool. Cool. So, you know, I did, uh, I did mention that I had uh, something I wanted to talk about presence and it was the notion of, can someone be too confident because even at times when, when I find um, I have to look hard for things to admire in President Trump, I can always go, man, you got to admire that guy's confidence. But can, can, you, can you have too much confidence? Can it be a detriment or is it always good? Well, see, I don't know if everything, you know, that people do that look like confidence is actually confidence. Mm. I think, again, we, we, we only know, but we only judge things by what we see. I can understand someone watching somebody who's very verbose and who has his ego on his sleeve um, and very, appears very cocksure. We would assume that they're confident, but that could just be a projection. It could just be someone who's acting in that way because they're protecting or defending something or they're actually scared. Mm. So I would question if someone is a little bit too outsized I would question on whether they actually are completely confident. Yeah. So it could be a, an inflated situational confidence to hide uh, a more deficient core confidence. It could be actually that. Absolutely. Cool. Because I, I just, um, again, I, like I said earlier, I think some people are more extroverted than others and so forth. But I think at a certain point, you I start to think that people leave the realm of core confidence and start getting into showboating. Mm -hmm. And if you're showboating, I'm going to question, you know, what's the boat being ruddered by? Mm -hmm. Cool. So, so in your work as a coach, you, you focus on confidence and you've talked about around relationships and sexuality and masculinity. How is it that you, you work with men? Um, how is it? Yeah, I mean, is, is it in person? Is it classes? Oh, is it okay. online? How, how do you like to work with people? Okay. The way I like to work with men is, well, if they're in New York, the New York City metro area, I'm certainly open for in-person uh, sessions. You know, these are one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm certainly open to working in person if you are in New York City. If not, we can work on video like Zoom or video of your choice. I like Zoom because, you know, you can record it and, there's a record, blah, blah. And, you know, when you have one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, sometimes you record the, the session for future reference. That's cool. So we can do it that way. Um, I will be developing online courses for this as well. I have some online projects around public speaking, um, but I'll be developing some more on uh, manhood. Now, actually, on my site right now, there are some quick downloads that people can go for, like there's these little two-minute talks on confidence. There's a two-minute talk on goals and success. Um, there's also a Finding Your Values a mini course on there, too. So there's already some stuff there. Beautiful. But as far as one-on-one -on -one coaching, absolutely, you can go to my site and, um, you know, book a intro session with me, and we'll talk about, 
you know, what can we do to break you out of your comfort zone and your anxiety so we can get you out there communicating with people, relating to people, having great sex, feeling like a man and, you know, succeeding. Beautiful, beautiful. Got it covered at all. Uh, well, so, you know, so, so, so what's your site? At coreconfidencelife.com. That's coreconfidencelife.com. You'll find information on the podcast and how you can talk to me one-on-one -on -one about uh, confidence coaching. And if you are, would rather learn how to speak publicly and <laughs> public speaking, that's been my life's work as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so uh, if, if you're not catching it, listen to us. It's coreconfidencelife.com. Visit realmenfield.org in the show notes for this episode. We'll have links there as well. And, uh, you know, so before we let you go and say goodbye, Dennis, I, I wonder if there's, are there any kind of like a, the biggest leaps that, that stand out in someone's lives? And it could be your own or someone you've worked with, someone you've met, that once someone upped their confidence, how did their life change? You know, I thought of my own. Uh, life. How dare you think of yourself, Dennis? <laughs> How dare you, you arrogant prick, you? Um, thought of my own life. I thought about once, and this was, you know, several years back, you know, I just thought about like once I decided to value myself and value my own values, then my whole life changed. Mm. So once you decide to value yourself and value your own values, and stick to them and not apologize for them, your life will change. You'll start to want better for yourself. You'll start, and it'll be automatic. You know, like I, I, I've said on some of my podcasts and, and, and on articles I've written, like once you start feeling good about yourself and understand that you deserve to have the best that you can get, um, all your habits will change. You won't have to think about eating better. It just will happen because you'll want better. Right. You know? So there you go. Beautiful. Awesome. I, uh, Dennis, I appreciate your time and everything you're doing so much. I really uh, had a, a great experience getting to know you better and talking with you. And I hope all of our listeners feel the same way. Uh, check out Dennis's podcast, Core Confidence Life, where all your finest podcasts are found, I imagine. <laughs> yes, it is. iTunes and uh, the, you know all the podcatchers, as they say. Right. You, know? um, you can ask Alexa right, to play the Core Confidence Life podcast right there. Excellent, excellent. Okay, see. Oh, good. You didn't wake mine up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't say Alexa to anybody now. Sorry. Oops. I don't have that, so I can say Alexa in my house all day long. <laughs> You're wreaking havoc on podcasts everywhere now. <laughs> but, guys, uh, fantastic insights. I, I, I love how much you're willing to share and go deep and get out of your comfort zone, help other men get out of their comfort zones. Uh, that is what the world needs more of. Uh, so, again, I thank you for being here. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Wherever you're catching the show, give us a, a rating, a review, a share, a like, a subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Be well. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.